Hello, my friends, and welcome to another moment. Yes, I'm back again with another Black History Moment with Bo. And I'm here to tell you that black is so beautiful I cannot repeat it enough. And I hope today is a great day for you. Accomplish everything that you set out to do this day. And if we can do just that, our days will be miraculous. Sometimes I just have to realize that when you get older, you realize your mama was right about damn near everything. Especially if she told you people will hate you on a level you didn't even know you were on. But you know, we don't even care about that anymore. Only thing we care about is learning more and more. And we realize that if black people were aware of their glorious past, even they would be more inclined to respect themselves. The time has come for black man to forget his hero worship of other races and to create and emulate heroes of his own. You know who said that? Marcus Garvey. You know who he is? If you don't, go to the library and look him up. Not the public library, but Black History Moments with Bo Library. He's there. But today, my friends, I'm going to tell you a story about a man (laughs) that you are going to find it hard to believe, but it's true and it's fact. And it's always been hidden in the dark. So we're going to pull it into the light today before the facet of this story suddenly comes up on ESPN with somebody else being the hero and our hero once again be overlooked. You know, in 1928, a man by the name of Edward Sheik Gardner became a symbol of hope to millions of black Americans because he ran in the Bunyan Derby. The 1928 transcontinental foot race, or Bunyan Derby, as it became known, was a 3,422-mile-long ultramarathon that spanned from Los Angeles to New York City. Can you believe that? And a black endurance runner named Edward Gardner traveled from Seattle to compete in the race unaware of what his participation would mean to millions of black Americans. This is an incredible true story of Edward Gardner and the Bunyan Derby. You see, he was born in Birmingham, Alabama in 1898. And then he moved around with his family for a while and finally settled down in Washington, D.C., where Gardner remained for most of his life. He loved to run as a child and excelled on a high school track team. As a teenager, he studied at Tuskegee University and continued to train as a long-distance runner, adding more miles to his runs and finishing them faster. At 17 years old, Gardner set the Tuskegee school's five-mile record. At 17, 
And two years later, he won first place at Alabama's Black State Cross Country Championship. See, back then, we couldn't compete with the white schools. It was always our own HBCUs. So anyway, after Gardner graduated, he moved back to Seattle and became a steam boiler repairman. But he never stopped running. And the following year, he competed in Seattle Post-Intelligence or Washington State 10-mile championship. And you know what? Over the years, he won that race three times. And for his third time, Garner beat the state record by five seconds. And this made him become a rising star in town. And newspapers like the Seattle Post-Intelligence lauded him in the local press. And the paper did not refer to his race in the headlines and instead praised him for his athletic achievements, which was an unusual practice for newspapers at that time. During the 20th century, the white papers rarely covered African-American athletes. And when they did, media coverage usually heavy racial overturns referring to black athletes as Negroes and often omitting their names altogether. But the Seattle newspapers were a horse of a different color. By and large, they treated Gardner with respect and rooted for his success as a hometown hero. And because of that, he began to mass a small fan base. And his fans noticed his signature look on runs, a white tank top, white shorts, and a white towel wrapped around his head. In Seattle, Thart Gardner looked like the star of the 1921 film The Sheik, played by Rudolph Valentino. They shouted out, Oh, you Sheik, or Here Comes the Sheik, and solidified Gardner's nickname for the rest of his running career. Now, in 1928, here comes a wealthy sport agent named Charles C. Powell that sponsored the first transcontinental foot race, a coast-to-coast ultramarathon spanning the length of the United States. The contest would soon be called the Bunyan Derby in the press as runners faced grueling conditions running from Los Angeles to New York. Wow. The Derby covered 3,422 miles, following Route 66 from Los Angeles all the way to Chicago before finally ending in New York City. And believe me, traveling Route 66 during that time was a hazard by itself. But anyway, the first 10 runners would receive a cash prize ranging from 25000 to 2500 And Gardner's wife, Mabel, pushed him into competing in the endurance competition as a means to support their family. She told Gardner, all you've gotten out of your running up to date is a lot of trophies. Here's a chance to get us what we need. So I guess you had better take a chance at this $25,000. And with a wife and two children to support, 30-year-old Gardner had no choice. He left for California to compete in the Transcontinental Ultramarathon with $175 to his name. But you see, Gardner did not have a car, so he had to search for someone nearby to drive him to Los Angeles. 
and he eventually talked a middle-aged tailor named George Curtis to take him. Along the way, Curtis agreed to become Gardner's running trainer for the duration of the Bunyan Derby. He'd follow Gardner in his car along Route 66 and provide support as he needed it. Though Curtis had no training experience, Gardner agreed to share a cut of his winnings he might receive with his new running coach. And when the two of them finally got to Los Angeles, Gardner officially entered the 1928 Trans-American Foot Race, and it was on. Man, he had to train, and he had to train for the ultramarathon in Los Angeles. A local professional boxer manager named Watson Burns was on the lookout for someone just like him. Burns wanted to sponsor one black runner in the Bunyan Derby in an effort to encourage black competition in all lines of sports. But when Garner met Burns, they agreed on a set of terms. Burns would pay for all of his expenses during the race in exchange for half of any prize money Gardner may win. Now he had his running team in place, and Gardner continued to prepare for the 3,500-mile race set to start the following month. The Bunyan Derby officially began on March the 4th. Runners took off from Legion Ascot Speedway in Los Angeles. But Gardner was not alone. Five other black runners competed in the 1928 Trans-American Foot Race, and most of the competitors had little or no experience running marathons, and a majority of the runners came from blue-collar backgrounds. (laughs) I tell you, that terrain was going to eat them alive. First day of the race, competitors ran 17 miles through heavy traffic as a parade of fans and admirers choked up the roadway. It's estimated that more than 500,000 people lined up along the 17-mile road. And the next day, Gardner and other marathoners ran 34 miles in the rain. And while resting at camp, rain seeped through their tents. The exhausted men, many of whom nursed blisters and other injuries, were drenched. And by the end of the second day, 183 runners remained in the Bunyan Derby. Those who continued to run became known as Bunyaneers for their perseverance through painful foot and leg injuries during this grueling-ass race. And on top of all of that, the runners faced inadequate accommodations and food. Check this out. Their lunchtime meals consisted of only two jam sandwiches, coffee, and one orange. And their health quickly started to deteriorate. But most of them pressed on with their eye on the prize. Then they had to run past the mother, the Mojave Desert, from Victorville. Some runners became badly sunburnt and dehydrated, and race organizers placed water stations between 5 and 15 miles apart, but it was far from enough. And to make matters worse, one runner named John Stone described stomach trouble and other sickness, befalling some of his fellow runners and suggested they were given unpurified water. But Edward Gardner and 129 other men crossed the Mojave Desert, 
and remained in the race, averaging about 40 miles per day every day. 300 miles into the Bunyan Derby, Gardner was in third place, and he made the headlines in two major Seattle newspapers, the Seattle Times and the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, for his achievements. And because of that, his fan base grew more and more because the Sheik was doing something incredible. By keeping pace with some of the best white long-distance runners in the country, Gardner was proven that black people, too, can be exceptional athletes when given the opportunity. And crazy as it may seem today, many whites in the 1920s held on to a decade-old racist belief that white people were superior athletes to African Americans. But Gardner continued to beat majority white competitors in one of the most brutal and strenuous tests of endurance and strength the world has ever known. And he was proving the racist wrong. African-American newspaper California Eagle offered to reward Gardner with a free trip to Los Angeles and a large sum of money if he won the ultra marathon and its owner viewed Gardner's ongoing success in the race as an opportunity to push back against racist thinking surrounding black athleticism. And Edward Sheik Gardner was becoming a symbol of promise to black Los Angeles. While competing in the Bunyan Derby, he received offers for free services and gifts from black business owners throughout Los Angeles, such as free real estate, free dental care, and even a job offer from a tobacco company. And when he was running on sunny days, Gardner wore prescription sunglasses he received for free from a supportive black ophthalmologist in the area. After braving the Mojave Desert, the Bunyan Derby ultramarathoners next encountered high-altitude mountainous running that cut past Flagstaff, Arizona, on Route 66. By the time the Bunyaneers cleared the mountains and entered New Mexico, Garner was in sixth place. And as they continued running in the harsh desert environment, Garner and other runners confronted powerful sandstorms. In addition to the low visibility, 60-mile-per-hour winds blew sand, rocks, and pebbles that cut into their skin. Gardner walked for hours during the storm, losing his way before finding Route 66 again. When the runners got near the Texas border, 94 men remained after the brutal tests from the previous 800 miles. But it seemed they could see the light at the end of the tunnel because the weather and the terrain conditions improved, providing some much-needed relief. But things were about to change as that ugly head sticks up again. Cause for the black runners in the race, deeply perilous circumstances awaited them as the pack crossed into Texas and entered Jim Crow country. With Jim Crow as law in many of the states, African Americans endured extreme racial discrimination and violence by the hands of white supremacists. Because nearly every part of daily life was segregated, 
from transportation to entertainment, neighborhoods to schools. And during the 1920s, the KKK experienced a resurgence in memberships as millions of men joined their ranks. And what you have to realize is that many members fill statewide and national elected positions, framing domestic policy for decades. All white juries exonerated white men who murdered black men if the crime was ever even prosecuted in the first place. As Edward Garner pushed to make up ground he lost in the desert, he contented with the torment of racist threats and attacks. He ran through sundown towns as white racists shouted racial epithets and threatened to physically harm him. Garner in particular received a barrage of outrage from angry white Southerners because he was the black forerunner who was beating out dozens of white athletes. And one night while resting in McLean, Texas, a mob of angry white men surrounded Gardner's tent and threatened to burn it down, but he escaped unscathed. On another day, a farmer riding a mule followed Gardner with a rifle pointed at his back for an entire day through western Oklahoma. And get this, he threatened to shoot him as soon as he passed a white runner. But Gardner pressed on, keeping as close to his usual pace as possible, although he was undoubtedly slowed by the barrage of racist attacks. And despite all of this, Gardner remained one of the top ten runners of the Bunyan Derby. Him and the rest of the men were now running between 40 and 60 miles a day. As the ultramarathoners continued running along Route 66, their sleeping arrangements deteriorated quickly. According to John Stone, who placed 33rd in the transcontinental foot race, runners did not have their own bedding. Each man received a different pillow and blanket every night. Our blankets and pillows were so filthy it was a disgrace to the race. Stone said, in other words, when a man stepped on his pillow when getting ready in the morning, the same pillow carried the head of a different runner that night. When factoring in the notion that most men dealt with painful sores and other bloody injuries, it's not hard to imagine the wretched state of those pillows and blankets in defiance of these gruesome, even inhumane condition. Edward Gardner and the remaining Bunyaneers pushed forward. They headed northeast towards Illinois on Route 66. C.P. Powell's added more pressure on the runners after they reached Chicago. The transcontinental foot race was losing money, and he wanted the competition to end as rapidly as possible. So he increased their daily mileage. For the last leg of the Bunyan Derby, marathoners ran between 50 and 70 miles per day. It's always about the money. These men were showing the world what the human body could endure. But it was always about the money. To the wealthy. Gardner estimated he ran 84 miles on his longest day of the ultra marathon. 
Some runners did not reach camp until two or three in the morning, but still rose at sunrise to run again every day. As runners approached the East Coast, they could feel New York City was just on the horizon. After competing more than 70 miles per day for a spell, Garner and the rest of the ultra-marathoners appeared incredibly exhausted, even sickly. So in the final days of the Trans-American foot race, race management drastically lowered daily mileage totals and allowed the runners to recuperate. After 84 days and more than 3,400 miles, Edward Sheik Gardner and 54 other ultramarathoners finished the Bunyan Derby in New York City on May the 26, 1928. Gardner placed eighth overall and received $2,500. During the contest, he went through 14 pairs of shoes. The winner, Andy Payne, won $25,000. In addition to Gardner, Two other black runners finished the race, Toby Cotton at 35 and Sammy Robinson at 45th. With his share of the prize money, he split with his trainer, George Curtis, and business sponsor, Watson Burns. Gardner returned home to his wife and children in Seattle. My friends, Gardner tried a second uh, Bunyan Derby that was from New York to California, but he could not finish it because he had a leg injury and had no choice but to drop out in Oklahoma. In 1938, Garner won a 52-mile-long walking competition around Lake Washington and beat the course's previous record. However, it was the last endurance competition he won. His wife, Mabel, died in 1960, and Gardner carried on working as a school janitor in North Seattle until he died of a stroke in 1968 at 70 years old. Edward Gardner became a national symbol of black excellence in the aftermath of the Bunyan Derby. His ability to stay cool and focus as racist whites hurled Death threats and insults at him in the Jim Crow South made him a hero to much of the black community who closely followed his progress in the trans-American foot race. There you have it, my friends. Edward Sheik Gardner became a symbol of hope to millions of black Americans. Rest in peace, my brother. Your story is now in the library that will be shared by other young black athletes. And your contributions will no longer be squelched into the darkness. My friends, that music tells me that it's once more that time. Wow, it's been a long day. But before I go, I got to leave a message with you. Your best stories will come from your struggles. The seeds of your success are in your failures. Your praises will be birthed from your pains. Stay focused, my friends, and remember your faith and keep pushing because I have never, ever seen a storm last forever. Have a good day, my friends. Until next time, it has been 
my honor.